We'll be in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40. You know, part of what, uh, part of the gathering of the saints, that's uh, one of the reasons why I believe God gets us together is because we need to be reminded of some stuff, you know. And so we sing these two songs about God's faithfulness and evokes certain things. And uh, so if you've forgotten about it, it reminds you. If you've never left there, it just solidifies it, reinforces it. But one of the things about uh, life is that um, we don't always have that front and center. And so God has us assembling together regularly, like consistently, because we need to have those things in front of us. Um, and Isaiah 40 is, this is a passage written to a group of people who had forgotten about that. They needed to be reminded of some very important things. And um, so this was written like hundreds, like 200 or so, just ballparking it, years before uh, this, this exile. And so if you were here um, over the summer when we talked about Daniel, Daniel was a part of a group uh, when, when, Isra- when Israel was attacked by Nebuchadnezzar and Jerusalem was taken, uh, they um, marched a lot of them uh, back up uh, to Babylon. And so uh, to watch your city be destroyed, your, uh, all kinds of people killed, all, just everything bad that comes with that. Plus you watch the temple, like where God lives uh, at, at, at that time. Um, the temple was desecrated and so that was crushing. You didn't know what was going to happen. Then you get marched into a foreign land and you're forced to serve those who actually came in and destroyed you. This is a, very, this is a terrible turn of events. And so Isaiah, is, uh, he's you know, 150, 200 years before that actually happened. But chapters 40 through 55 of the book of Isaiah are, are written forward. Okay. So he's writing these prophecies that are going to make sense down the road whenever this happens. And so there's two ways to look at, at like what we're about to look at. You can either look at this through the lens of Isaiah writing forward in time of something that's going to happen like all, like in a true prophecy kind of way. Or you can read it as a recipient. And that's how I want us to look at it today. That, that the recipients who had been, been through all of that drama... And we're now living in Babylon under the uh, like oppression of this foreign government, being forced to uh, serve and worship and whatever uh, in this foreign land. That they have a text like this, and they're like, "Well, Isaiah wrote this a lot. He, we knew this was going to happen." And there are some encouraging words that he sends to us. And so I'd like for us to look at this through the lens of the recipients who are in a bad place. And this might, this might be for you. It might also be for someone that you know. Whether it's that you'd actually like share this with them, this passage with them, or some of these ideas. Or maybe it just helps you know how to pray for them. This might not have to, as much to do with you as someone else. But this might be exactly, exactly what God has for you uh, in the situation where you are. So, uh, starting in verse 27... Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. 
He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So that last part, you've probably seen that cross-stitched somewhere before or uh, on, a, you know, on a card, an encouraging card, that kind of thing. Like that, uh, those who wait on the Lord, like that is just kind of one of those uh, scriptures that has stood this, the test of time in, in many ways and is used quite often. But I think the context of that, of knowing that they, were, they had been through a really like, traumatic and dramatic uh, set of events, and uh, to know that and to know that God is reaching out to them, I think, is, is really significant. So verse, verse 27, this is where this comes from, the, the, the idea that they have forgotten about this. Because he says in 27, why do, you, why, do you, why do you say this and speak this? Why do you say that my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded? Now, they've been through a lot, and so part of this kind of makes sense a little bit, but... Um, this tells us that they felt abandoned. They felt like God had forgotten about them, he had disregarded them, that uh, this God who'd made all these promises uh, had just completely just left them. And some of that makes sense. I mean, when, when you look around at circumstances and, and everything that's going on, it's kind of like, all right, I, I can't really blame them a, a ton. I mean, this is a, this is a difficult deal. And to make it worse... If you read the first 40 chapters of Isaiah, uh, they kind of, this, this was their own doing. Like, like they kept rebelling against the Lord. They kept choosing idols. They kept trying to have all these, these comforts and security that were found in places other than him. And he kept telling them, Hey, this is going to destroy you. Like if you, if you don't return to me, if you don't stay with me, if you don't uh, like this is not how I made you to live and it's going to be your, it's going to destroy you. It's going to be terrible. And they, they thought they knew better, you know, they thought it'd be all right. They thought, oh, you know, whatever, whatever their reasoning was. And so here they are in this pile of ashes that they created. And that makes it so much worse. And I feel like, like we have all probably been in situations where you're sitting there and you're like, man, this, this is a mess. And not only is it a mess, it's a mess that I created, like I did this. And sometimes it's, other, it's others, and sometimes it's your own doing, and sometimes it's a mixture. But we, I think we all know what it's like to be in a situation where you're like, this is terrible. And when you start to look at the circumstances and, and all the, the things that makes you feel, it's easy to feel like God has abandoned you, that he's forsaken you, that he's being mean to you. Uh, or that he's so busy taking care of other, someone else, you know, so we sure is taking care of them. Sure is blessing that family. Sure did give that guy a promotion. Sure did do this for them. Sure did heal that, that, you know, we can do all that. But it becomes a very dark place when, when we become convinced of that the lie is true, that God is holding out on you. And he's not who he said he was. And so God is saying, hey, why? Like, he loves them enough to bring this to their attention, saying, why, why do you feel this way? Why are you saying these things? 
Look, our emotions are, they're, they're important. God made us emotional on purpose. And they tell us a lot of things, but they are not ultimate. Like they are not defining. They are not, um, they are not, they do not have absolute authority over us. They're, it's just a part of us. And our circumstances, yeah, we, got, we need to pay attention to our circumstances and we need to process stuff and deal with it. But our circumstances are not ultimate either. And yet, in the world that we live, those tend to be like the most, uh, the most dominant voices. Because like, well, this is my situation and this is how it makes me feel. And then we arrive at this conclusion and it's easy to understand how they probably felt like God had abandoned them. So God, because he loves these exiles, he loves his children, even when they are letting their circumstances and emotions get the best of them. Out of his love for them, he inspired this writing hundreds of years before the situation. Knowing that they could have it in hand or would have learned it in synagogue and had memorized it and they would know what to do when life happens. And because he loves us, he made sure that we have it too, right? Like, that's a part of what this is about. It's a part of what this book does for us. It's like, hey, there are going to be times when you're going to forget. There are going to be times when you need to be reminded. So verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. You want to talk about what is ultimate? It's him. So your circumstances, they're they're not ultimate. They will change. They will morph. They will tell you the truth. They will lie to you, whatever. But they are unreliable in terms of what is ultimate. Your feelings will go all over the map Uh, within an hour span. Why in the world would you base everything on that? How about you, uh, how about you base all of your truth and all of your reality? How about you be embedded and anchored in something like this? A God who is everlasting, who created the earth, who never tires, and you will never reach the end of his understanding of a situation. He's offering us the most, like there is no better bedrock than that. And so here they are feeling abandoned. And so through Isaiah, the spirit of God reminds his people, which would be us included. Don't forget who, who he is. And that's a theme of scripture. It's kind of been a theme of our summer uh, and starting in school. And it's going to continue to be a theme until he comes back because we forget. Right? Am I the only one that forgets this sometimes? I don't think I am. We forget because we're so distracted and because of circumstances and feelings and all those kinds of things. And so God, in his infinite, literally infinite wisdom, said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you some tangible things. One, one will be this sacred book. This book that is not like other books. Can't get lost on the bookshelf. This book that um, in our day, of course, we have like apps on our phones that have that, but he's like, 
might not want it to get lost with all the other apps. You might want to have a, a book that's different than the other book. Something that can remind you of what's true and what's real. That as your circumstances and emotions are all over the place, there's something that doesn't ever change. And it reminds us of who he is. Look at verse 29. Well, let me say this real quick. So, and not only because I, this was profound for me, and so it might not be profound for you, but I was thinking about puppies and how uh, one of the things I always like to do with puppies when they're like super, they're like just hyper and everything, I like to sit on the ground and like put, put my feet apart and like, keep one foot still and like move one and the puppy runs at this one and you stop moving this one you start moving this one it runs at this one and you're just like ha, ha, ha. you're like tricking it it's just back and forth back and forth being crazy and I feel like I feel like my life can do that like my morning can do that where I'm like look at this oh no look at this look at this look at this look at this if you take a plate of food and you put it between those two moving feet right there that dog is not caring about those feet if it's a well-trained dog and it's going to sit there and it's going to like sit there and drool and stare at that food. You can move all the, you can do anything else you want. All it cares about is the meat in front of it. I feel, I feel like the Bible should, that's what the Bible should do for us. I feel like that's what the truth of God's word does for us. Is here we are being distracted by circumstances and feelings and this and this and this and this and this. And he's like, hey, how about, I'm going to give you the right thing to focus on. There's something that's actually good for you that you can actually consume I'm not going to let that dog consume my feet. That does nothing but tease the dog. It distracts the dog, whatever. But the food, the dog's like, okay, that's different. And so here God is putting like a big old T-bone steak in front of the people. And saying, you're being really distracted by where you are and what's going on, all those kind of things. And all those kind of things are fine and good and they, and they need to play the right role. But let me show you what's important. I'll put the steak in front of you. Everlasting God, creator of the ends of the earth. Never gets tired. You'll never come to the end of my wisdom. Verse 29. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Now, in other words, you're going to get exactly what you need. Like if you, if you were in the category of like, I am faint. He's like, okay, well, here's power. If you're like, I have no might. He's like, okay, I'm going to increase your strength. So from his resources, like his infinite resources, he's going to meet you and say, okay, so what do you need? You need strength? Okay, I'm going to give you strength. From my infinite strength, I will give you strength. Verse 31. I'm sorry, verse 30. Even youths, which I love that it says youths. Even youths shall faint and be weary and young men fall exhausted. Okay, what he's saying is like, guess what? Guess what is unsustainable? Life in this broken world, unsustainable. That's why Jesus came to fix it. And to bring us to a place where the brokenness has no impact forever. But for now, we're here. And we're dealing with all the garbage that comes with the broken world. And he's like, so even the youngest among you, even the strongest among you, are going to get tired. Don't feel like you're an exception to feeling the brokenness that comes with our world. And then 31, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. 
So he provides strength for you that then propels you into whatever you're called to do, into walking and running and flying and whatever, whatever it is for you. That when your circumstances and feelings have you exhausted and you're, you're just tired and you're kind of feeling like he's given up on you, that those who wait on him, like that is like you are renewed so that when it's time to begin to like to go into the next season, it's like whenever, whenever the circumstances change or just to get through the current circumstances, you're going to have what you need. So those verses are, they're inspiring. You know, they're, they're poetic. They preach really well. You know, you just got to wait on him. Like, amen, pastor. I started thinking, I was like, I don't even know necessarily what that means. Like, I think I know what that means. But you can't just tell someone, you just got to wait on him. I'll be praying for you. It seems like, it seems like there, there needs to be more, like more than that, you know. Like how, how as a community of faith, like how do we wait for the Lord in a way that is godly? In a way that is helpful to one another? If someone says, well, I don't know what it means to wait. Tell me what to do. How do I wait? There's three, three examples real quick come to mind from the scriptures that maybe can point us in the right direction. And so whether this is for you or someone else, maybe these examples would be helpful. The first one is, is Daniel, who is an actual, like one of the people that he's writing to in this, in this text. Now, Daniel uh, was pretty high up in the government. He was very like, like Nebuchadnezzar, like he's out of favor with, with the king and, um, Daniel, in his waiting, he prayed three times a day facing Jerusalem because the ancient book told him to do that. Like his training, they're like, when, when this happens, here's one of the things that you need to do is pray toward Jerusalem. And so Daniel did that. And the prophecies also said to, uh, to bless the city, like to pray and seek the prosperity of the place that you are living so that the remnant can continue to grow, so that when God brings you back to Israel, there's like someone to actually bring back. And so Daniel, his form of waiting was not to just sit around and cross his arms and pound and do nothing. He said, no, I'm going to do what I was trained to do, but do what the ancient book says to do, which is to pray toward Jerusalem and try to figure out how, can, how to make this place prosper so that our people can continue to be faithful because one day our circumstances are going to change and how we feel about it is also going to change. So Daniel, that's kind of how he handled it. The second example from, from Scripture is the idea of Sabbath. That God um, gives a day a week to rest from all work. Now, it, resting from work doesn't mean that you just sit and do nothing. They didn't rest from relationships. They didn't rest from worship. They didn't rest from honoring God. They like Sabbath required a lot of trust to say, I cannot work this entire day and tomorrow will be all right. Like I can, I can say no to all these things so I can say yes to these deep, important things and trust that God's going to keep providing. They not only rested their, their lives, they rested the land. So a, a, an owner of crops would have a whole year he says, we're not going to farm this land for a year. We're going to let the land rest. And trust that God will provide enough for this year 
while we're not farming it, plus the next year while the you know, next round of crops are growing. And so Sabbath, they didn't work, but they, but they did things. Sabbath was nourishing to the soul, and it was an act of faith, saying, God, I believe that you will take care of me enough to where I don't have to try to take care of myself in this moment. I'm just going to rest and be with you and be with, with my people, your people. Second one. The third thing that I thought of in terms of waiting is Jesus. That Jesus was not, like his public ministry did not begin until he was around 30. Now, can you imagine how long that is? Some of you in this room, you can't imagine being 30 years old. Like that's, to you, is like the most ancient thing in the world. That's so far down the road to some of you. But 30 years of waiting and waiting and waiting. What did he do during that time? We don't know much. Here's just one verse uh, that is really all that we know from when he was about 11 or 12 until he was 30. It says he grew in wisdom, he grew in stature, he grew in favor with God and in favor with man. So during that stretch, he learned like he became smarter, he became intelligent. He grew physically. He had relationships, he had community, and he like wa- like his relationship with God, his closeness with the Lord grew. So he didn't wait just sit around doing nothing. He's like, "No, I'm going to maximize my waiting." So when I think about those examples, there's like two, two common themes for me. The first, the first is that waiting involves action. So when Isaiah says, those that wait on the Lord will have their strength renewed, he's not saying those who sit around and do nothing. That waiting is active. And so if we want to actively wait, we look at Daniel, we look at the Sabbath, we look at Jesus... And we say, okay, well, until my circumstances change, like the thing that has me frustrated, until that changes, I, I'm going to, I'm going to like continue to be the person that God created me to be. I'm not going to let the fact that I'm kind of pouting right now and frustrated, I'm not going to let that stop me. And if you think about those four things that it says about Jesus, that you, you say, I'm going to continue to grow in wisdom, like godly wisdom. I'm going to take care of myself physically. I'm going to maintain good relationships with people and I'm going to walk closely with God even if I feel like he's abandoned me. Even if I feel, even if I feel like he's very distant, I'm going, to, I'm going to still be a follower of Jesus like I uh, went through the baptismal waters to tell everyone that I was. I'm going to maintain covenant with him because he maintains covenant with me. That when waiting is something we do that is active and we are continuing with, with, with the disciplines and we're wrestling with how we're feeling and we're wrestling with our circumstances, but we're doing that embedded in a community of people. And we're reading the word and we're praying the word and we're praying to God and we're praying together. When all those things are continuing to happen, our, our waiting doesn't feel quite as idle there's a lot, of, a lot of Christians in our world, when they feel like God's given up on them, they give up on him. And I want to encourage you, if that's you, that's not what God has for you. First of all, he's not given up on you or abandoned you. I understand that it feels that way and your circumstances look that way, but that is not, that's not true. 
this is what's true. That the everlasting creator of the world is waiting with you. He's in the waiting. He's in the active waiting. That's the first, first commonality. The second commonality is that waiting is an act of faith. Like you have to have faith to wait. Daniel was actively waiting, but he believed deeply that something was coming, that God was going to, uh, to do exactly what he said he was going to do, that he was going to bring Israel back to Jerusalem. And even if he didn't live to see it, he knew it was going to happen. That on the Sabbath, you had to believe that God was going to provide for you and that it was good for you to rest. That Jesus had to have faith to believe that when the time was right, his public ministry would start. He had to know that at the end of that public ministry or toward the end was going to be his death. And he had to have faith that God was going to raise him from the dead. And so waiting is, is, is trust. So you're saying, you're basically saying, okay, in spite of the fact that my circumstances look this way and I'm feeling a certain way about it, I'm going to push those things to the side right now and I'm going to just look at the meat that you have put in front of me, which says that you are doing something, that you are with me and you are for me and no matter what my circumstances or emotions feel, this trumps all that. And so I'm going to choose you over me. That's a hard place to be. It's a hard place to stay, I should say. I, th- I think we can get there. But sometimes it's hard to remain there. So what we're essentially saying is that there's a time that's coming when uh, I'm too weak to walk or to run or to fly like an eagle. A time is coming when like, I will be able to do that again. But for right now, I'm just going to wait and I'm going to rest. And the fact that you are with me and you are at work. So one, one quick question as I close. I started to wonder, this is a part of how I study the Bible, is I like to just ask questions. And I started to think, why eagle? You know, like why mount up a wings like an eagle? And if, you know, of course my first thought was like, well, he's not going to say something dumb, like a pigeon, you know? I'm going to mount up like a pigeon, you know? Like, so was he just being, was he just like, I'm just going to pick... Like, by far the best bird, you know, like by far the most majestic bird that there is. I'm just going to pick that and whatever. And, and so I think most of my life I've heard that verse and just thought like, yeah, like if, if God were to take the form of a bird, it would definitely be an eagle, which makes no sense. But that's just how my mind works. Then I started to, th- to think and I started to just do some research on eagles. And uh, I learned something that is interesting to me, at least. Is that, and you may know this already, so bear with me. And if you are an expert in the field, I apologize if I'm about to just completely ruin your whole discipline. Uh, but eagles don't, like they can fly, but that's not like their like preferred method of flight. That eagles have this really unique ability to, um, to lock their wings. They lock them in place. And what they do is they, they would... Like they'll, they'll take off, but only when a, when a current of wind is coming. And so they'll, they'll catch that current of wind. They'll put their wings down and lock them in place. And they, they just become like a sailboat. (laughs) They just ride the current. And so when you, when people see an eagle, uh, it's, they're super high. 
And they're just kind of just like cruising. Like um, a couple years ago, me and my brother, uh, Joe, who's over there, uh, we, were, we were coming back from a fishing trip and we're riding in the boat and we look ahead of us and there's an, an eagle like ahead of where we're going. And he's just like, maybe like 20 feet off the water and he's just like cruising. So we get super jacked because eagles are the best. And uh, so we're like just watching it and like he's, he's cruising and we get a little bit closer and we get like next to him, which is like amazing, right? And so we're next to him and we just can't, cannot believe what's going on. And the joker like dives in, grabs a fish and like swoops up and just like sails off, you know, like it was, it was by far the most patriotic moment of my entire life. Like it was, <laughs> I want to just like call Lee, I want to call it like Lee Greenwood. I'm like, I get it, man. I get it. Uh, and the sad thing is, is that eagle caught more fish that day than we did. So, uh, it was rough, but an eagle apparently will sit in its nest or up on a, the side of a mountain or whatever, and it will sit there and wait when the con- conditions are too still. Like it could, it could take off and fly, but because of their wingspan and they're just so huge, it's so exhausting to them that they will wait and wait and wait for the conditions to be just right. And then they just kind of dive bomb out of that, out of that nest or off that mountainside and they catch that current and they just soar and soar and soar and soar. And I feel like a part of why, and I'm just guessing one day I'll let him confirm it or tell me I'm wrong, but I feel like a part of why he used eagle is because those eagles sitting up in a nest waiting for the current Again, I'm projecting, so hang with me. It's an act of faith for them to sit there and wait. Like there's food out there. They may have little babies to feed. And I know it's just a bird and it doesn't think this way, but just hang, hang with me. It is an act of faith to wait for the wind. That they could take it upon themselves and just fly, wear themselves out, not be able to get, you know, it could be, it could be death for them. Or they can just wait. And when the wind picks up, and it's time, they know, now I'll be able to soar and find my next meal and feed my kids. (laughs) And what if part of waiting is literally resting? What if God says it is not good for you to try to fly right now? It is not good for you to run or to walk right now. You need to wait and to rest. Several times in the Bible, the, one of the images used for the Holy Spirit is the wind. That maybe we are like the eagles, just hanging out, waiting for the Spirit to like move in such a way that we're like, okay, now's the time. That maybe what's going on in our lives and our circumstances and our feelings Maybe we need active waiting that looks like rest. That looks like practicing the disciplines. That looks like living in community. That looks like not giving up. Because we believe that the wind is coming. And that God is going to do what God does. That he's going to be faithful. So in this text we see God's role. Which is to be God. And to renew us with what we need at just the right time. And we see our role, which is to wait in faith. And I believe to wait actively. But we have to know the wind is coming. 
that change is coming, that God's faithfulness is on the way. It's there now, you just may not be able to sense it, but it'll become more obvious. We have a whole Bible full of people who God didn't give them all the information right up front. He says, just trust that I am who I say I am. And I've proven it before, I'll prove it again. If you're struggling right now, I'm going to meet you in that. So, maybe you are an eagle (laughs) hanging out in the nest, or maybe you know someone who is. But I hope that you are encouraged through God's very own words to you and to me, through Isaiah, through the exiles, all the way to us today. It's it's the same, the same, the same, the same. I can only encourage you so much. Community can only encourage you so much. God is the greatest encourager ever. And so take these words from him to you and take them seriously. Let me pray for us. God, I'm sure it was more difficult than we will ever know to be, uh, to be in Babylon. To be exiled, to be shipped off, to be stuck like that. And I don't know how many of those folks were encouraged by these words. Um, but I'm sure that some were. And I'm thankful that you saw it fit to make sure we had them all these years later. And so whether it's us in this room or someone that we know, we know that your word never returns void. And so help us just to steward well anything that was stirred up through this, through this passage and through our study of it this morning. We thank you. We love you. Uh, we're grateful and pray this uh, in your name. Amen. Um, so we're going to do a little bit different of a response this morning. It's going to kind of look the same in a, in a bit, but, uh, we kind of do a, a fourfold response time. Uh, there's kind of different ways to put those like tangible steps in. Um, we sing, uh, we pray, we receive communion and we give, there's giving stations over there on the side for, uh, these are all just like tangible, like a- things we can actively do. And so, if you uh, if you are a Christian and uh, you want the grace of Jesus that He's offering to you, if that if, if it's helpful for you to come and to take the bread and dip it in the juice and to, to take communion that way, that tangible thing, you're you're welcome here. You don't have to be a member of our church. Um, if you are not a Christian, I believe that you're welcome at Jesus's table. But if you're not a Christian, uh, we we want to talk to you about that. Um, following Jesus is the most important thing in our entire lives. And so if you would like to talk more about that, uh, we'll have a, a few of our uh, ministers on the front here that would just, we're just going to stand there. And if you want to come talk to us, that'd be, that would be great. Uh, because there's nothing more important than that. If you want to come and kneel and pray, uh, you can do that. And of course we'll sing, but I want to do a, I want to pray before we get to that point. I want to open up these steps. I want to take a few minutes and pray for those who uh, this this whole text or whatever hit home like a little bit 
specifically, whether it's for you or for someone else. Uh, and so we're not going to ask you to like tell us anything or anything like that. I just want to invite you to come and kneel. And if you want to bring people with you, that's fine. If you want to come on behalf of someone else, there's something special about like putting physical movement with stuff sometimes. And so if you want to just come ahead, go ahead and just make your way down here. Um, I'm going to just take some time to pray for those who feel like they are their eagles in the nest, so to speak, or you know someone who is, you can just come on down. And if you see someone go and you're like, I want to pray with them, then you come on too. We're going to take a minute and just pray specifically. And then we're going to sing and do our normal, our, uh, the communion tables will be open and all that kind of stuff. that you would be uh, really, really clear in your advocacy right now and in your nearness to know that you are with everyone that's down here for every situation that's represented here at the front and in the whole room. That you're with them. You understand what it's like to feel abandoned circumstances would be really, really difficult to deal with the emotional swings that come with uh, circumstances changing and just the different ways to think about it. Jesus, that you are the expert at this and we need you to be that perfect shepherd right now. That you would be quick to comfort that in every situation that's that's represented here, would you show yourself and prove yourself to be tangibly present and strong? They got in all these situations just a confession that, yeah, this is hard. And it's hard to know what to do with it. But we have known we have heard that you Lord are the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth but there's no measuring of your understanding that you never grow tired or faint that you never sleep or slumber that there's there's no end to your goodness and your power We have heard this and we know this. We put this front and center. Would you help uh, help all of us to let our circumstances and our feelings, let them play the role they're supposed to play, but you are ultimate. 
So we have known this and we have heard this. This is who you are. You are the one who gives strength. You are the the renewer. So would you do that? In this act of waiting right now, we believe that you will supply. table is the communion stations are both open if you want to continue to come and pray you want to sing you want to give uh, just continue our response time for a few more minutes together respond as you feel led and uh, let's just express our faith and belief to god during this time